That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, October 2nd, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Tesla continues to smash records. Facebook has announced big changes for groups, and folks are concerned it will smash the platform further. A new startup claims to have smashed quantum computing records, and of course, will smash the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Smash. The hits truly keep on coming over at Tesla. The company announced this morning it has delivered 139,300 vehicles in the third quarter, which absolutely smashes its previous delivery record for a quarter of 112,000 cars. Quoting The Verge. This was the third consecutive quarter of better-than-expected delivery numbers from Tesla. The company delivered 88,400 vehicles in Q1 of 2020, down from the fourth quarter of 2019 when Tesla shipped around 112,000 vehicles. And it sent out 90,650 vehicles in Q2, despite its Fremont, California factory being partially shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. Tesla said it delivered 124,100 of its Model 3 and Y vehicles and 15,200 of its Model S and X vehicles. Tesla has said it expects to deliver 500,000 vehicles in 2020, or a 36% increase over 2019. But so far, the company has only sent out 318,350 cars to customers, meaning it would need a blowout fourth quarter of 181,650 deliveries to meet that goal, end quote. But hey, the way things have been going over there, you might not put it past them. HP has debuted a 14-inch Spectra X360 laptop with a 3-to-2 aspect ratio, 11th-gen Intel processors, Thunderbolt 4, and AI-based noise removal features, all starting at $1,199. Quoting The Verge. The Spectra X360 14 convertible brings some notable improvements compared to its already impressive 13-inch predecessor. A 3-to-2 aspect ratio display, a 16% larger touchpad, quad speakers, and a Thunderbolt 4 port located in one of its diamond-shaped corners, so you can plug in your all-in-one cable for charging, data, external monitors, and peripherals, even if the back or sides of the machine are blocked. There's also a physical button you can press on the keyboard to block the webcam. The 3-pound HP Spectre X360-14 is equipped with Intel's latest 11th-gen Tiger Lake processors, specifically up to a quad-core 28-watt Intel Core i7 with Intel's G-integrated graphics on board, just one step below the chip that impressed us in a recent Tiger Lake test. HP says the new laptop should be up to 34% faster than last year's Spectra X360-13 model. More impressively, it's the first Spectra to include a 3-to-2 aspect ratio display with 20% more vertical real estate than the 16-to-9 screens we've had before. And you can pay for an OLED version of the 13.5-inch 3,000-by-2,000-pixel screen, too, though we're not sure how much that costs. 
One of the biggest annoyances we had with its 13-inch predecessor was its 16x9 display, which my colleague Dan Seifert called cramped in his review. HP also claims the new laptop is its most intelligent PC ever, and while we'd have to put that to the test, the smarts sound interesting. HP claims the Spectre can detect when it's in a bag and use Intel's dynamic tuning to avoid the battery draining or overheating. The X36014 also includes AI noise removal, which is supposed to eliminate background noise from communication apps like Microsoft Teams and Zoom, and there's an auto color feature that can automatically switch the screen's color space between DCI-P3, Adobe RGB, and sRGB to theoretically make sure you're looking at the most accurate colors. The company is claiming up to 17 hours of battery life, but as little as 10 on the i7 OLED model, end quote. Facebook has announced an interesting update for groups. Groups are getting automated moderation, but also Facebook is turning up the dial saying that public group discussions will now surface more often in newsfeed and search results. Quoting The Verge again, The most intriguing update is starting out as a test at first. Facebook says it'll start surfacing public group discussions in people's newsfeeds. These can show up if someone shares a link or reshares a post. Beneath that link, people will be able to click to see relevant discussions that are taking place about that same post or link in public Facebook groups. The original poster can then join the discussion even without joining the group. Recommended groups will also show up in the group tab if Facebook deems them relevant to people's interests. Additionally, public group posts will start showing up in search results outside of Facebook, effectively giving them more reach and a much larger audience. Taken altogether, these updates set public groups to grow fast, which could backfire if extremist groups or communities spreading misinformation are promoted. Facebook says any posts marked false by a third-party fact-checker won't be eligible to be surfaced through those features, end quote. Uh-huh. So my immediate thought when I heard this was along the lines of this tweet from Tariq Krim. Quote, People are posting less on Facebook, so they need to fill our newsfeed with something. More toxic political conversations? What could go wrong? End quote. Indeed. Count me as among the people who really never uses Facebook proper anymore because it's become too toxic and too filled with people and posts that I simply don't care about. Is this an attempt to surface things I might care about? Because it seems like what it'll just do is surface more garbage that I don't care about from groups that I don't even belong to. But then again, maybe doubling down on the garbage is the point? Quoting Deborah Brown on Twitter, Rolling out new policies and products when a major election is underway is high stakes. Testing a new recommendation feature that could expose people to new Facebook groups and disinformation right now seems downright irresponsible, end quote. And this is a thread from Renee DeResta, quote, Since people are speculating about the disinformation dynamics of this policy change, Here's mine. Many public groups where disinfo percolates, Q, conspiracy, hyperpartisan, are currently high-volume spam fests where people mass blast posts to dozens at a time. I don't see that changing much for the better when public group posts are pushed out to even more people. Ultimately here, as with nearly every facet of information on social platforms, what will matter is curation. What groups or posts get this new, broader dissemination? It seems likely that if it's political public groups, it'll just devolve into trolling, not nice, pleasant conversations between people with differences. Wonder how many mods are rethinking the decision to be public, end quote. Startup IonQ 
I-O-N-Q, so I'm guessing they want me to pronounce that as Ionic, has unveiled its next-gen quantum computing system, which it is calling the world's most powerful, claiming to have set a new record by bursting through the 4 million quantum volume barrier. Quoting Forbes, On a machine featuring 32 qubits, the quantum equivalent of classical computing's bits, Ionic says it has achieved an expected quantum volume greater than 4 million. The figure vaults ahead of the previous record, a quantum volume of 128, announced one day prior by Honeywell, the industrial conglomerate. Peter Chapman, Ionic's chief executive, said that as the company releases newer iterations of its machines in the years ahead, updated measures will be required. The number will become so large we'll have to leave quantum volume behind, he said. Quantum volume attempts to grade quantum computers on a combination of metrics, including a machine's number of qubits, their connectivity, and error rates. IBM, a rival quantum computing pioneer, introduced the yardstick three years ago in an effort to create a more holistic ranking system for quantum computing engineers. Qubits tend to be unstable, but in an ideal world, each additional one adds exponential power to a quantum machine. Because of Ionic's unique hardware design, it says it is able to tap into those exponential increases, helping push its machine far ahead of the pack, at least according to quantum volume. Ionic is tilting against tech giants many times the company's size, such as IBM, Google, Honeywell, Intel, and Microsoft. The five-year-old startup based in College Park, Maryland, is racing, like the others, to give businesses a computing edge in domains such as chemistry, financial modeling, medicine, and artificial intelligence, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order 
when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. Time for the Weekend Long Reads suggestions. Given the spate of recent tech IPOs, I found this piece from the information interesting. Back when companies like Spotify and Slack were going public with private listings, there was a large gap between what private market valuations were for tech companies and what the public investors eventually were willing to value those companies at once the companies were on public markets. It was actually the case a few times in a row that the public markets were willing to pay more than private markets were, but the recent direct listings of Palantir and Asana were basically spot on. Quote, The secondary market for private tech stocks is becoming a better indicator of how the public market will value those stocks, Wall Street executives say. Wednesday's public debuts of Asana and Palantir seem to bear that out. The stocks of both companies, which went public via direct listings, opened at about the same level as their recent highs on the secondary market. This shift is significant, particularly for private tech company employees and investors, as it should make them more willing to sell on the private market rather than wait for a public listing." And speaking of Palantir, I mentioned that their public listing was a bit ho-hum this week, not a failure by any stretch of the imagination. But there have been whispers that now that we have a better sense of what Palantir's business is, people don't see a lot of their there. Glorified consultancy is the term that I've heard. This piece from The Intelligencer looks into that, quote, Palantir's public offering is founded on the company's sales pitch that its software represents the ultimate tool of surveillance. Named after the Seeing Stones and the Lord of the Rings, Palantir is designed to ingest the mountains of data collected by soldiers and spies and police, fingerprints, signals intelligence, bank records, tips from confidential informants, and enable users to spot hidden relationships, uncover criminal and terrorist networks, and even anticipate future attacks. Teal and Carp have effectively positioned Palantir as a pro-military arm of Silicon Valley, a culture dominated by tech gurus who view their work as paving the way for a global utopia. But as Palantir seeks to sell its stock on Wall Street, even some of its initial admirers are warning that the company's software may not live up to its hype. More than a dozen former military and intelligence officials I interviewed, some of whom were instrumental in persuading government agencies to work with Palantir in the first place, expressed concerns about the firm's penchant for exaggeration, its apparent flouting of federal rules designed to ensure fair competition, and its true worth. The company has largely succeeded, they say, not because of its technological wizardry, but because its interface is slicker and more user-friendly than the alternatives created by defense contractors, end quote. Hey, no one says you can't build a good business by simply finding and filling and exploiting a market niche through good old-fashioned branding and UI, UX design, you know? Next, Ars Technica says that devs are managing 100 times more code today than they did 10 years ago. You all manage more code in more languages for more platforms than ever. Does that seem accurate to you? Quote, Sourcegraph, a company specializing in universal code search, polled more than 500 North American software developers to identify issues in code complexity and management. Its general findings are probably no surprise to most R's readers. Software has gotten bigger, more complex, and much more important in the past 10 years, but the sheer scope can be surprising. It's no surprise that the volume of code a typical organization or developer manages has grown in the last 10 years, but many people outside the industry might not realize just how much. More than half of the developers surveyed report a growth, as measured 
in mebibytes of more than a hundredfold. Some of this code growth can be explained by increasingly complex code, but much of it comes from an increase in the diversity of platforms and tools used. Modern development, particularly web development, generally means amalgams of many different platforms, libraries, and dependencies. The developers surveyed reported increases in the number of supported architectures, devices, languages, repositories, and more, end quote. Then on its 20th anniversary, Mashable looks back on the website Hot or Not and makes the case that it was actually way more influential than you probably remember. Quote, It was the genesis for revolutionary concepts like the public profile at a time when uploading pictures of yourself was seen as an oddity or risk, when Facebook wasn't even a twinkle in Mark Zuckerberg's eye. Sure, we may have gotten rid of the 1 to 10 rating scale, but Likes on Instagram selfies still essentially serve as an implied aggregated score of exactly how hot or not the internet thinks you are. Soon after finding instant meteoric success, Hot or Not then invented the most foundational concept of online speed dating through the Meet Me feature, a proto-Tinder over a decade ahead of its time. Dating sites like Match.com already existed, but back then they were seen as options for an older or desperate crowd. Hot or Not's Meet Me helped make casual online mingling for younger folks mainstream, originating double-match opt-in communication that requires users to express mutual interest before being able to message each other. Instead of extensive bios and questionnaires geared toward long-term commitment, Hot or Not limited you to a picture, short bio, and keyword tags that reflected your interests. The rating scale of the main website functioned similarly to the dating app Swipe, back when ubiquitous smartphones with touch controls sounded like sci-fi, end quote. And, let's get back to it, of course, right before Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg himself got his start and his first I'm sorry, I know we'll have to do better incident with a straight-up hot-or-not clone. Speaking of Facebook, Harry McCracken in Fast Company takes a deep look into how Facebook is, as we've discussed, weaving together the back ends and the front ends and everything involved with Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp into one unified platform. Quote, the trickiest part of Zuckerberg's plan is the intensified emphasis on private messaging. Without setting a deadline, he said in his 2019 post that users of Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram's messaging feature, each historically a walled garden, would be able to communicate securely across all three services in a project referred to within the company as Interop. The first tangible result is the new version of Messenger. It remains a standalone app, but the same features appear within Instagram to replicate its existing messaging capabilities, which have been known as Instagram Direct since their 2013 debut. The update is going live in a few countries now, with a global rollout, including in the U.S., planned for later in 2020, end quote. And finally, one piece that I admit I haven't had the time to read yet, but I'm including because it looks super interesting. It's from The Verge. When Chinese Bitcoin millionaire Justin Sun acquired BitTorrent, was he trying to skirt the trade war he saw coming or fly in the face of it no matter what the cost? Quote, Soon it emerged the BitTorrent acquisition rumors were true. The man buying the company was a young Chinese Uber millionaire named Justin Sun. It seemed like a fit. Sun ran a cryptocurrency company in Beijing called Tron, and like BitTorrent, crypto's whole philosophy was built on decentralization. Some employees were excited. One told me their initial reaction was, oh cool, crypto, that's a neat space that I've wanted to get into. Sun was undeterred by BitTorrent's associations with piracy. Later, employees would discover he was more than willing to actually embrace it as well, end quote. That is all for this week. We have a weekend bonus episode coming at you tomorrow, I think. This is another one of those times where I've not recorded the episode yet. 
not even scheduled to record it until 5 p.m. today. So if something happens and the recording doesn't happen, then it will be too late to do anything about it. But nonetheless, assume you'll be getting a bonus episode about the content creator industry. But first, listen to this message that I'm sure a lot of you will find very interesting. 